Chapter Eleven of the Mother's Recompense by Edith Wharton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty-one. Chapter Eleven. There was something so established and reassuring in the mere look of Enid Drover's drawing-room that Kate Clefane, waiting there that afternoon for her sister-in-law to come in, felt a distinct renewal of confidence. The house was old Mrs. Clefane's wedding gift to her daughter, and everything in it had obviously been selected by someone whose first thought concerning any work of art was to ask if it would chip or fade. Nothing in the solid and costly drawing-room had chipped or faded. It had retained something of Enid's invulnerable youthfulness, and like herself had looked as primly old-fashioned in its first bloom as in its well-kept maturity it was odd that so stable a setting should have produced that hurricane of a lilla and kate smiled at the thought of the satisfaction with which the very armchairs in their cushioned permanence would welcome her back to domesticity but mrs drover when she appeared took it on a higher plane had lilla ever been unstable or in any way failed to excel if so her mother and her mother's background showed no signs of remembering the armchairs stood there stolidly as if asking what you meant by such ideas enid was a little troubled she confessed by the fact that horace mcclue was a widower and so much older than her child I'm not sure if such a difference of age is not always a risk. But then Mr. McClue is a man of such strong character, and has behaved so generously. There will be such opportunities for doing good. Opportunities for doing good? It was on the tip of Kate's tongue to say, Oh, that must have been Lilla's reason for accepting him. But Mrs. Drover was serenely continuing, he has given her all the pearls already she's bringing them back to-morrow to be re-strung and kate understood that for the present the opportunities for doing good lay rather with the bridegroom than the bride of course mrs drover went on it will be a great sacrifice for her father and me to let her go though luckily baltimore is not far off and it will be a serious kind of life a life full of responsibilities hendrick is afraid that just at first lilla may miss the excitements of new york but i think i know my child better when lilla is really happy no one cares less than she does for excitement the phrase gave kate's nerves a sudden twist it was just what chris used to say when she urged him to settle down to his painting at least on the days when he didn't say that excitement was necessary to the artist she looked at her sister-in-law's impenetrable pinkness and thought it might be mrs minity speaking fred landers had telephoned that he'd got back and was coming to dine she fancied he had it on his mind not to let her feel her solitude while anne was away and she said to herself that from him at least she would get a glimpse of the truth fred landers as became a friend of the family was also beaming but he called lilla's engagement 
a solution and not a sacrifice and this made it easier for kate at last to put her question how did it happen he leaned back pulling placidly at his after-dinner cigar his old-fashioned square-toed pumps comfortably stretched to the fire and for an instant kate thought it might be pleasant to have him in that armchair every evening it was the first time such a possibility had occurred to her <laughs> how did she pull it off you mean he screwed up his friendly blue eyes in a confidential grin well i'm naturally not initiated but i suppose in one of the good old ways lilla probably knows most of the tricks and i rather think nolly tressleton's been aiding and abetting her it's been going on for the last six months i know and a shooting box in south carolina is mixed up with it of course they all have a theory that lilla need only be happy to be good and what do you think about it he shrugged well i think it's an experiment for which mcclue is to furnish the corpus filae but he's a thick-skinned subject and it may not hurt him much and may help lilla we can only look on and hope kate sat pondering her next question at length she said was mr mcclue's private secretary there that fellow fenno yes he was on duty she fancied he frowned a little why do you call him that fellow he turned toward her and she saw that his friendly brows were beetling is it necessary to speak of him more respectfully the fact is i don't fancy him never did you knew him before then she felt the blood creeping to her forehead and reached out for a painted hand-screen that she might seem to hold between her eyes and the fire landers reflected oh yes i've run across him now and then i rather fancy he's been mixed up in this too stirring the brew with the others that's my impression yes i wonder why said kate suddenly landers smiled a little though his brows continued to jut oh, to please anne perhaps anne anne the name after she had uttered it continued to ring on between them and she leaned back pressing the screen against her closed lids why she managed to question well a good many people have wanted to please anne first and last i simply conjectured that fenno might be among them oh no i'm sure you're quite wrong i wonder she hesitated and then went on with a rush the fact is i wonder you haven't noticed that he and lilla landers sat up and flung his cigar end into the embers fenno and lilla by jove you might be right i hadn't thought of it well i have i've met them together when they didn't expect to be met she hurried it out with a kind of violence her heart was beating to suffocation she had to utter her suspicion to give it life and substance the idea sheds floods of light no doubt of that poor mcclue 
I'm beginning to be sorry for him. But I think the lot of them are capable of taking pretty good care of themselves. On the whole, Landis added with a sudden sigh of relief, I'm jolly glad it's Lilla, if it's anybody. I know it's Lilla. Kate spoke with a passionate emphasis. She had to prove to someone that Chris was Lilla's lover in order to believe it herself, and she had to believe it herself in order to dispel the dreadful supposition raised by Lander's words. She found herself now able to smile away his suggestion quite easily, to understand that he'd meant it only as a random joke. People in America were always making jokes of that kind, juvenile jokes about flirtations and engagements. They were the staple topic of the comic papers. But the shock of finding herself for a second over that abyss sent her stumbling back half-dazed to the safe footing of reality. If she were going to let her imagination run away at any chance word, what peace would there ever be for her? The next day, Nolly Tresselton reappeared, smiling and fresh, like a sick nurse whose patient has turned the corner. With Lilla off her hands, her keen boyish face had lost its expression of premature vigilance, and she looked positively rejuvenated. She was more outspoken than Landers. Oh, at last we can talk about it, thank goodness! And she began. Horace McClue and Lilla had met the previous autumn, duck shooting in South Carolina. Lilla was a wonderful shot when she wasn't, well, when she was in training, and McClue, like most heavy, solemn men of his type, who theoretically admire helpless feminine women, had been bowled over by the sight of this bold huntress who dammed up and down the birds she missed, smoked and drank with the men, and in the evening lay back silent, with lids half-dropped over smouldering sullen eyes, and didn't bore one with sporting chatter or sentimental airs. It had been a revelation, the traditional thunderbolt. Only, once back in Baltimore, McClue had been caught in the usual network of habits and associations, or perhaps other influences had intervened. No doubt with a man like that there would be a settled attachment in the background. Then Lilla for a while was more outrageous than ever, and when he came to New York to see her, dragged him to one of her rowdiest parties, and went away from it in the small hours with another man, leaving McClue and his super rolls to find their way home unaccompanied. After that the suitor had vanished, and it had taken the combined efforts of all the family and the family's friends to draw him back. "'And no one helped us more than Major Fenno,' Nolly added with a grateful sigh. The name, dropping suddenly into their talk, made Lilla and her wooer and all the other figures in the tale shrivel up like toy balloons. Kate Clefane felt her blood rising again. Would she never be able to hear Chris mentioned without this rush of the pulses? Oh, he was so clever and tactful about it, Nolly was going on, and he really believes in Lilla, just as I do. Otherwise, of course, he couldn't have done what he did when Horace McClue has been such a friend to him. He believes she'll keep straight and that they'll be awfully happy. 
i fancy he knows a good deal about women don't you about women like lilla perhaps the words had flashed out before kate even knew the thought had formed itself it must have welled up from some depth of bitterness she had long thought dry nolly's eyes looked grieved oh you don't like him i haven't seen him for years kate answered lifelessly oh he admires you so much he says he used to look up to you so when he was a boy but i dare say he wasn't half as interesting then he says himself he was a sort of intellectual rolling stone never sure of what he wanted to be or to do and always hurting and offending people in his perpetual efforts to find himself well that's how he puts it look up to her when he was a boy yes that's how he would put it and the rest too how often she had heard that old analogy of the rolling stone and its victims i think the war transformed him made a man of him he says so himself and now he believes he's really found his vocation he doesn't think of anything but his writing and some of his poetry seems to me very beautiful i'm only sorry nolly continued thoughtfully that he feels obliged to give up his present job it seems a pity when he has so little money and has been looking so long for a post of the sort ah he's giving it up well yes he says he must have more mental elbow room for his writing i mean he can't be tied down to hours and places oh no he never could again the words had nearly slipped out the effort to suppress them left kate dumb for the moment though she felt that nolly was waiting for her to speak well then of course he must go she assented inwardly she was thinking after all if i'm right and this seems to prove i'm right about him and lilla it's only decent of him to give up his job and her eyes suddenly filled with tears at the thought of his making a sacrifice behaving at a crucial moment as her old ideal of him would have had him behave after all he was perhaps right in saying that the war had made a man of him oh yes but it's a pity and not only for him i mean i think he had a good influence on lilla nolly went on oh now really they were too simple even nolly was kate could hardly keep from shouting it out at her but can't you see you simpleton that they're lovers the two of them and have cooked up this match for their own convenience and that your stupid mcclue is their dupe as all the rest of you are but something in her was it pride or prudence recoiled from such an outburst and from the need of justifying it in god's name what did it matter to her what did it matter the risk was removed the dreadful risk she was safe again as safe as she would ever be unless some suicidal madness drove her to self-betrayal with dry lips and an aching smile she said you must help me choose my wedding present for lilla End of chapter 11